0: of us have ever had a deep discussion with our kids about love and about what it is and what it's not you know love is a multifaceted term and the English language has only one word for it but other languages like Greek have many and its uses of different terms for love like describing a parent or the love of a spouse an entirely different term for love is used for the love of a friend And still, another will transcend them all. It's the kind of sacrificial and unconditional love that springs from God Himself. So it's easy for our kids to get a distorted idea about love when this term is applied to the myriad relationship scenarios that life brings our way. Today, we'll be speaking with Shannon Breen about the biblical perspectives on love from her new book, The Love Stories of the Bible Speak, next on Licensed to Parent. Hi, I'm glad you've joined us for another episode of Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. Shepherd's Hill is a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. Our host, Trace Embry, is the founder and executive director of Shepherd's Hill and also the author of The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill. I'm Michelle Hill. Our goal on Licensed to Parent is to take what we're learning each day at Shepherd's Hill and share it with you so that you can be better prepared to raise your kids in a way that honors God. You know, Trace, with each new arrival here at Shepherd's Hill Academy, the first thing that you say to each of the troubled teens is, I love you. Why is that?
1: Well, the short answer is because I really do. Uh, God divinely put that ability into me because anyone who's read the miracles of Shepherds Hill knows that when Beth and I you know, buried our son Asa on Shepherds Hill, something deeply spiritual and life-transforming took place in both of us. Uh, mm. Because before that, I knew we were supposed to work with, with youth, but I, I couldn't stand the thought, to be honest, of having kids live with us, much less troubled kids. Mm. I, I never thought I could love unconditionally. That was really one of the big hang-ups. But, God used Ace's short life to prove otherwise, and the rest is history. So, for almost a quarter century now, the first thing a kid hears out of me when I first meet him is, "I love you." And, and though I've always realized that you know there's a uh, a bit of a risk in being misunderstood when I say that, uh, certainly right off the bat, I've never regretted it uh, because it's from the heart, and there's no doubt in my mind that God put it there. And I think the kids pick up on that. Uh, you know, I, I say it's a risk. Because a lot of kids today have a a warped understanding of the term love. Yet at Shepherds Hill, we've got a whole year to help them acquire a healthy and godly understanding of the unconditional agape uh, kind of love that, Mm. that God has for all of us. Too many kids view love as, you know... A mere warm fuzzy, of what's in it for me kind of thing that's too often divorced mm-hmm. from, uh, or isn't divorced rather, from sexual inferences. But deep in their spirits, they really do grasp agape love, even if cognitively they, they struggle to, to understand it. And, and why wouldn't they struggle when our child molesting culture so often conflates love with lust? So when I tell kids I love you, Uh, On that first day, I'm speaking to the deeper part of who they are because we aren't fundamentally human beings who occasionally have spiritual experiences. We're fundamentally spiritual beings having a human experience. Uh, again, cognitively, there there may be uh, some of these kids who who think I'm a weirdo, but I can always tell that that something within them feels safe at that point. Uh, Then as a little time goes by and our team proves trustworthy, things start to make even more sense to them as they discover more accurate and adequate ways to interpret love and all the pertinent contexts that uh, uh, we have for love. And that's when the, the Lord becomes real to them and, and, and genuine healing begins. Mm-hmm. It's also when they realize I wasn't a freak show after all, uh, <laughs> you know, for saying what I said in the beginning. All that to say that with a deeper understanding of love, good things happen mm-hmm. and you know, I think that's what Shannon's uh, book uh, can help provide.
0: We're excited to have Shannon Bream back on Licensed to Parent. Shannon is an American journalist and attorney. She is the host of Fox News Sunday and the chief legal correspondent for Fox News Channel. Shannon is also the author of several best-selling books, including the one that we're going to talk about today, The Love Stories of the Bible Speak. Shannon is married to Sheldon, and they enjoy traveling fly fishing, and college football.
1: Shannon Bream, uh, thank you for being back with us on the Licensed to Parent Broadcast, and thank you for being a trusted voice and a model of God's character in an industry where Mm. trust, truth, and genuine love seem to be waning these days. You represent God's people well.
2: Thank you so much, and thank you for having me back.
1: I I, I can't think of a better source for a discussion about love Mm. than the Bible. Uh, But a lot of Americans these days, and, and sadly this includes a growing number of parents would disagree. Do you think a skeptic reading your book might take a a more serious look at the Bible as being what it claims to be because of these biblical love stories?
2: Yeah, I think because these stories are so relatable in a lot of ways. Um, No relationship is perfect, whether it's a parent and child or husband and wife or even friendships. We delve into those in the book as well. And so, I think when you look and see the best of how things can be, which is the model of God's unconditional love for us and Christ laying down His life um, for us while we were yet sinners. I mean, there's so much beauty in the examples of this unconditional love. Um, And then, you know, in the human relationships, too, we see how even though they're flawed, God can work through those. And we can learn a lot about how He expects us to sacrificially love each other.
0: Mm, Amen. So, Shannon, who are some of these stories about? Who are the characters that you develop some of these stories around?
2: Well, you know what? I dove into Song of Solomon, which, you know, when I was a kid, we were not supposed to read that in Sunday school. It was too steamy, and it's not for the kids. Um, But I was like, okay, if we're doing a book on love stories of the Bible, we have to get into Song of Solomon. And Mm -hmm. luckily, there are a lot of great experts and guidebooks and studies out there that I delved into to try to understand this book better. And the beauty of it is, is you do have this very vocal love back and forth or attraction between these people who are longing to be married and to be together. But, um, you know, it raises questions about like, okay, how much do we value our spouse after so long a time? Do we remember what it was like in the beginning to lavish them? with praise, not just about the attraction we have to them, but about their character and who they are as a person. I mean, all of that is modeled in Song of Solomon and and the back and forth there makes me think, I got to up my game, you know, with my my love Mm -hmm. notes. I can't be just like, have a great day, XO. Um, (laughs) You know, they're talking about arms as bands of gold and, you know, teeth like white Mm -hmm. goats and sheep. And so it's... it's, it's humorous in a way, but it also shows us that longing. It reminds us God uh, created us that way, and he knows Ooh. the longings of our heart.
1: Yeah. And I think God gets a bad rap, you know, uh, for being a sexual prude, but the Song uh, of Songs or Song of Solomon, it does speak to the, the Eros uh, kind of love,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: w- when you— Put the whole sexual act in God's ecosystem. It's a, absolutely a beautiful thing, just like a fire or a fireplace. But that fire out in the, in the carpet, just six feet mm-hmm. away, is no longer beautiful. Um, why wouldn't this book, uh, and, and again, I'm speaking of Song of Solomon, why wouldn't this book be a great read for married couples to grow in their understanding of, of that Eros kind of love or true romance? And, and what happened to the word romance? You don't hear that a lot anymore. At least I don't.
2: Yeah, it's true. I think that unfortunately, you know, the newest generation is probably being sold as we have for decades. This idea that you just, um, you know, do what works for you. Mm -hmm. You don't really worry about investing in the intimacy of emotional intimacy and vulnerability and all of these things that give our relationships such richness. And I think when you feel that you could trust, um, your spouse, And that the love is not conditioned on just the physical. I mean, that attraction is always going to be part of initially bringing people together. Um, But that it's something much deeper. I think people are sold a bill of goods that intimacy is just physical. Um, But when you miss the emotional connection there. I think it's so one-dimensional. And a book like Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, um, I thought it was important to dig into that and to see that, you know, um, these people are longing for each other, but but talking about wanting to be together and make this commitment and meeting the family and all of these things that are beyond just kind of the disposable relationships that people have told been told would make them happy. But a lot of people, um, and this isn't just, you know, conservative or religious people. I mean, a lot of people, there are interesting books and sub stacks and things mm-hmm. come out where people who, you know, grow up maybe more liberal or more progressive in their ideas are saying, these, you know, relationships, if you can even call them that, are just leaving me empty. Mm -hmm. And there is beauty in being committed and making sacrifices um, and doing things that um, require us to be less selfish.
1: Yeah, I I, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head when you said selfish, because I think we've bought into this narcissistic uh, approach to life. And, of course, that bleeds over into, you know, our intimate relationships. But the word commitment, um, that seems to have kind of ebbed away too. Nobody commits to mm-hmm. anything anymore. Um, but why wouldn't this book make a great devotional for parents and their kids? I mean, why wouldn't it?
2: yeah I mean, we I actually have had two different couples who uh, have told me that they're doing this as their devotion book together and that they're <laughs> sharing this um to work through and talk through and read to each other and really delve into these stories, um and that they may broaden it to their family as well after they've gone through the book. So, I think we want our kids to see healthy relationships and we want our relationships to be healthy. So I think it's a really good way to spark discussions, even about, you know, tougher topics and conversations that, you know, we should be willing to have in our Christian families and households that um, we want people to have those conversations within the context of the home and what a beautiful place to have um, some safety and security and probing some of these questions and these issues. So I've been really excited that I've already had people come to me and say, that's how they're using this book.
1: Yeah, I, I think it so it would cool. uh, jumpstart a wholesome conversation mm-hmm. about sex and, and, and marriage and, and all that. Um and you know, be a, a tool that parents could use. I mean kids may you know, kick out of the whole goat's teeth or goat's hair for teeth and all that, <laughs> that stuff. But but you know that even that can be broken down and, and, and understood in the context of the time it was written. Uh, which I think is really important for kids to understand because uh, the Bible does get a bad rap uh, largely because of the fact that they don't understand the context of a lot of things that's in scripture. Uh, but we come back, I wanna ask you about the sacrificial component of love because I think that's missing as well. We, uh, we don't know how to sacrifice much of anything anymore and uh, it's p- particularly our marriage relationships. So we go into it with this, what can I get out of this?
0: Well, we're talking with Shannon Breen today about her book the love stories of the bible speak we'll be back with more licensed to parent right after this
3: in today's digital age there's more access than ever to digital devices with technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, Click on Resources and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherds Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of eBooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by
1: TroubledTeen.org. Hi, folks. Trace Embry here, host of the License to Parent Broadcast and founder of Shepherds Hill Academy. We've all heard about modern-day miracles, mostly from mission fields. Frankly, I believed about half of them and experienced none of them until about 30 years ago when Christ truly became the Lord of my life. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill is a book that wasn't written as much as it was recorded It's the true story of how God used a handshake, my family's last $200, and our 30-year odyssey of bumper-to-bumper miracles to acquire a 60-acre farm that was used by the devil and turned it into a 250-acre globally recognized healing ministry for God. I want all people to know that Jesus Christ is still in the miracle-working business for those submitted to His Word, will, and way, and who properly understand what faith Truly is. The Miracles of Shepherds Hill, an
3: extraordinary odyssey of divine interventions by Trace Embry. Learn more at LicensedToParent.org.
0: Welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Shepherds Hill is a residential treatment center for troubled teens. Want to know more about us? Check out LicenseToParent.org. Today, we are talking with Shannon Bream about her book, The Love Stories of the Bible Speak. And Trace was asking about sacrificial love.
1: Yeah, Shannon, why, why do you think sacrifice is so essential to um, all the many aspects of love, whether it's agape, storge, eros, uh, I don't know how you pronounce that, but it's the the brotherly love (laughs) where we get the the word Philadelphia, uh, the city of brotherly love. What happened to sacrifice?
2: It's very unpopular because it causes us to be less selfish. I mean, I think we all come out of the womb that way. We all, for being honest, admit that we're looking out for ourselves and for our own good. And that's not the best, you know, cement or glue for a relationship. Reminds me of, you know, when Christ is talking about in the New Testament, about how you sum up the law. Yes, love your Lord, your God with all your heart soul, mind, and spirit, Mm -hmm. but also love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's tricky for us sometimes because, you know, like, do you want the last piece of birthday cake for yourself? Or, (laughs) you know, do you want the first seat um, at the table? There are so many little ways in which we have to fight our own selfishness. And I think my husband and I realized a few years in, like, that's the key. We're both born selfish, Mm -hmm. but if we're trying to put the other person first, we're eventually going to land in a very happy place um, to be each other's best cheerleader, to um recognize mm-hmm. that you don't always have to have the last word or to be right about everything. Yeah. Um and sacrifice, so you know, requires a lot of things and sometimes that's waiting for the relationship um to come together in the right circumstances and um You know, just the idea of sacrifice is very foreign to people in a uh, society that tells us, you know, uh, there are headlines out there, five ways how to make yourself happier today, how to make choices Mm -hmm. that benefit you. And Mm -hmm. so the idea of biblical sacrificial love in any of those contexts, um, again, just runs up against what we're told every day.
1: Yeah. You know, I I didn't get a chance to read all your book, but I, I did read a very wise statement that you quoted from the mouth of your husband, Sheldon. He said, when you're busy trying to put the other person first, you both wind up happy. <laughs> uh, I thought mm-hmm. that that was, you know, simple but profound. Um, what would happen, uh, logically speaking, what would happen if uh, the seven or eight billion people on the planet all decided that agape love, they were going to commit <laughs> to agape love uh, and, and work that through the storge love, the eros love, the philia love, or whatever, how do you pronounce that? Uh, wh- wh- what would happen to the, to the world if, if people committed to that biblical standard for, for unconditional love?
2: Gosh, don't you guys think that would be so radical? I yeah, mean, then. the sniping yeah. on social media, the fighting with family right. and friends over, Ooh. you know, politics or finances or you know whatever it is. Wars across the country trying to oppress and, and harm innocent people. Mm. Um, there're just so many things that would be undone if we really lived by that ideal that we would really put other people first. Um, it does require us to, you know, I've got a, a friend I always think about um Dr. Robbie George, who's a Princeton professor, and he says the smartest thing. He says you should go into a relationship because he does a lot of these debates and things. You got to go into these conversations with at least the possibility in your mind that you may be wrong about something. But you have to at least think about that possibility. And I think when we look at each other with the respect of, hey, this person is created in God's image. Every soul is precious to him. I owe them basic respect. And hey, maybe there are things I need to learn in the world. I think when we approach relationships and people that way, gosh, if the world did that, we'd be in a much different place.
1: Amen, sister. Um, If you only had a a sentence or two to sum it all up, how about a paragraph or two? Uh, Take what you need. What should the love stories of the Bible speak to parents about their kids?
2: Gosh, I think we see the beautiful relationship of our Heavenly Father to us, this unconditional love Mm -hmm. that is always pursuing and loving and forgiving. And, you know, we're told in First John, we love because He first loved us. Mm -hmm. So when you're having a rough day or a parenting crisis, I think if we can look at things through the lens of God as our Heavenly Father, it's a big help.
1: Yeah. And what should the love stories of the Bible speak to kids about their parents?
2: I think the idea of respect and, and, Trusting their wisdom. I talk about in, in these relationships that there are um, people who go, even in Song of Solomon, when we see this, um, where the bride is taking the groom to her family, like going to the wisdom of people around you and their experience and relying on that. I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, respecting and loving our neighbor as ourselves does include honoring our parents. Mm-hmm. And um, they've seen life and they may have advice for you on matters of love or career or anything else. And we give them a lot of honor by going to. To them with that and trusting them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So do you have any idea how to restore, uh, how parents rather can restore the importance of sacrifice and the hearts and minds of their kids in the context of love? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think just looking at some of these stories, I think about um, even Ruth and Boaz, one of the love stories that we feature. um, She was a very young widow, and her mother-in-law was widowed. They had no man in their life to protect or provide for them. And Naomi said Mm -hmm. to young Ruth, go off, make a new family, start somewhere else, have your own children, do your own thing. And Ruth had this very sacrificial love and said, no, I have no legal obligation, but I'm going to stand by you as my widowed mother-in-law. And they went together back to Naomi's homeland, and that's where they were in dire poverty. I mean, Ruth, as um, the young woman who essentially Naomi is now her spiritual mother, her mother-in-law, she goes to glean after the people who are the professional harvesters to just find any little thing that she could to put together something that would provide for them. And I think it's just such a beautiful um, testament to Mm -hmm. loving and respecting your elders and Mm -hmm. sacrificing for the greater good when Ruth could have gone and started this new life Uh, and would have every right, and everyone would have understood that by making this really sacrificial, beautiful choice to support Naomi, in her travels and in trying to survive as a widowed woman, Ruth models such a beautiful uh, mm. thing, I think, for us as a daughter, essentially, in that yeah. framework. And all of us, if we, you know, get to this certain point in our life, we will be serving our parents the way that they endlessly served us mm. <laughs> um, and getting a chance to repay all those debts of love that they showered on us in shepherding us through the world. And um, it's, it's a great honor to look um, at our Parents, I mean, I love the idea that when I can do something for my mom or my stepdad now, mm-hmm. it gives me great joy to, to know it's just the tiniest repayment of all they've yeah. done for me. Yeah. I don't
1: think uh, a lot of kids today are afforded much of an opportunity to experience that kind of joy. Uh, they're so busy taking, you know, they they don't mm-hmm. really understand the giving. And parents are complicit with this. Uh, do you think our, our limited English vocabulary with respect to the term love, along with a diminishing biblical worldview in America... Uh, I mean, even among (coughs) self-proclaimed Christians has helped to adversely affect how we uh, view family and other interpersonal relationships in recent times?
2: Yeah, I think it all goes back to that selfishness idea, and I do love that there are these different Greek words um, for love in the Bible that express um, different ways that we connect and that we care for each other and all of our different relationships, but I do think when the culture is, you know, they use the word love and twist it inside and out, and certainly many times doesn't you know, reflect what was part of ancient Judeo-Christian heritage and history and what God intended for us. Certainly. Um, when we hear, you know, I love this hamburger or I love this person I've known for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's true. not the same thing, but we do use it so flippantly.
1: Yeah. And especially in a lot of, uh, contemporary music for the last 60 years. I mean, love has kind of been an innuendo for sex and, and kids kind of conflate mm-hmm. all that. Um, why does so many parents today see love and discipline though as being mutually exclusive? That's the one that I just can't understand.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh man, my parents did not see it that way. No, I didn't <laughs> they were all about spare the rod and spoil the child. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, if I had the strictest parents in the world growing up. I was the youngest person in my class. Cause I had started school sort of skipped through kindergarten early. My mom was a teacher And, um, you know, just really believed in education. So I was kind of early, um, younger than all my classmates. And then my parents had the strictest rules about, you know, not dating, not driving with teenage drivers, not going places. It was really hard when I was a kid. Um, but my mom did not – my mom and my dad and my stepdad and my stepmom, I was really blessed to have four wonderful parents in my life. But they were united in the discipline thing, and I hated it at the time. I felt very uncool and weird, <laughs> mm-hmm. and people made fun of me sometimes because they we'll just couldn't know. do things yeah. or experience what they would say, quote, unquote, you were know, normal teenage things. But my mom did not blink in the face of that. She was not like, oh no, I want you to be my best friend. She is now. Mm -hmm. And I thank her so much for how mean she was. And I actually, my very (laughs) first book wrote a chapter called the meanest mom in the world, because she wore that as a badge of honor. She actually had a plaque that she put up in the kitchen. She found at a yard sale that talked about being the meanest mom in the world. And Mm. I'm grateful to her now. I'm sure I was very unpleasant as a child because I was so unhappy about Uh, The restrictions on my life, but I thank her all the time now, Mm -hmm. and we are very close friends.
1: Well, she sacrificed maybe a a lifetime of close friendship uh, in the teenage Mm -hmm. years uh, for a a lifetime of of close friendship. You know, I used to tell my kids, listen, I love you too much to care what you think about me right now. This is what has to be done.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a good line.
1: Yeah, get after it. But, you know, Hebrews 12, uh, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And I think one of the problems is a lot of parents just, they don't train their kids from a young age. They think some of the little rebellious things that Junior does uh, is cute. And uh, it may be a little cute, but it's really not. And by the time they uh, uh, become teenagers, it's, uh, you know, 15 years and 200 pounds too late to really do much about it. Um, I I know it's a tender subject these days, uh, but does your book address any of these tough love passages in Scripture?
2: yeah we yeah we think about the times when things didn't go well, and there weren't um good loving relationships. I mean, we think about samson and delilah that's one of the stories mm-hmm. where you know this is a young man who before he was born, his parents were so excited to be visited by an angel of the Lord, first his mother and then again both parents um to be told you're finally going to have this child, and he's going to be consecrated to me. there's going to be a special yeah. vow over his life and um you know, his parents were very godly. We see a beautiful relationship between them. It's a it's a very good picture of marriage in the Bible, and they even asked, God come back. We want to know how to do this right. We want to make sure that we get this right. So in raising Samson, um, they did keep him to this vow, and it was very important. And they um, they it was a beautiful thing that was integrated into his life and held over him. But we see at some point that he becomes very lustful and very willful, and at some point, mm-hmm. a lot of people forget get. There was this first marriage before Delilah. They were both a disaster. But he sees this woman who is not of his people. It would have been ill-advised for him to pursue her, but he sees her, doesn't even have a conversation that the Bible tells us, and he says, that's the one for me, and tells his parents defiantly, get her for me. And so you know, you see this situation where they have to know he's, you know, making a decision like, why not choose a woman from among our people? Why not, um, you know, pursue this? And little by little, he pulls away from the vows that he has made Mm. until disastrously decades later, he has this relationship with Delilah that is a complete disaster for him. Mm. And it's when he finally has walked away from every one of these vows that his parents tried so carefully Um, to pray over him and to help him comply with um, that we see just when you get off track and you get away from that good counsel of your parents, uh, there
0: is disaster often waiting at the other end. Today, we are talking with Shannon Bream. Shannon has a new book, and we've been talking about that today. The title is The Love Stories of the Bible Speak. Shannon, thank you so much for penning this new book it, and and for sharing it with us today. It's just been a lovely conversation.
2: Well, God bless you guys. I hope it will encourage people in their relationships and marriages and families. And just remember that God's uh, never-ending love is always pursuing each of us.
0: Amen. Mm. Thanks for listening to Licensed to Parent. Trace Embry is the host of Licensed to Parent and also the founder and director of Shepherd Hill Academy, a residential treatment facility for troubled teens. To learn more, visit LicensedToParent.org. Licensed to Parent is a listener-supported ministry. A donation of any amount would help us tremendously, and you can donate online at LicensedToParent.org and click the Donate button. Thanks to our team for making today possible. Our producer is Rich Rosell. Carl Peetz is our technical producer. For Trace Embry, I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your license to parent.
1: And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.